Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. My name's Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy. I kind of want to be a ranger. LaValley. I don't find your jokes amusing. I'm not I'm not joking. Uh, you've made the class very interesting to me. I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to do I kind of want to take what Joe did, but do it like good. And now he does this to I want to do it I want to do like a, a good version of a ranger, like one that's survivable. Before and, I get into it, you know. Before good. I get into it, basically good. Before I get into it, <laughs> I want to say to everybody out there, I hope you had a Merry Christmas. I just want to say Merry Christmas to everybody. Oh, that's a nice sound. I hope you're having a nice week. I hope you have a happy new year. It's the last cannon fodder of the year. I know I won't, <laughs> but I hope you do. I hope your family is happy and healthy, and you see your friends, and you had a wonderful time, and continue to have mm. a wonderful time as I stew in misery. Are we friends? Would you call us, like, in the traditional sense? I mean, I know we're, we're business partners. We work together. Right. But traditionally... You put it in quotes. Are we friends? I consider you my closest friend in the whole world. Then I truly do not know what makes you think you can treat me this way and then expect me to do this show. Joe, I, mean, I, I don't know what you want me to tell you, buddy. This is, this is part of what you signed up for. Are you sick of me? I, do you want me to leave the game? If you do, like just, just be a man and tell me. Don't kill Lork. Just because you dislike me as a person. I want you to know that I didn't kill Lork. The story (laughs) killed Lork. There was a set of circumstances that were put in place that I had. I mean, I I only have so much control. I literally have no control. This is the best. This is what Skid is always saying. He's always like, well, there's nothing you could possibly do. It's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. I cannot pretend to start this episode like I usually do. And, and, oh, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that. Without addressing the single number one most important thing on my mind. So I had to just get that out. Okay. This... This frustration and and angst and everything is, you know, it's mostly for show because I I am fine. I'm kidding, mostly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I disapprove of some things, but I've thought about this. Do you not trust me? This is what I'm saying. I've thought about this, and I can't continue to preach on this show. And, And even last week, I think we said it again, you that you have to trust your GM. And that that is this, probably the single most important aspect of this game at a mm-hmm. macro level. And then proceed to complain because my character died. That's not <laughs> what we do here, Troy. You we can't have it both ways. Exactly. We roll with the punches here. And I've had a few days to, to let us let some steam off. And I've decided that on this fodder, I am not going to ask you why this happened or why you guys went down this path. Okay. This is something that I feel pretty strongly about, honestly, and I think Matthew should explain himself, and he's not here, and I just think it's not the sort of thing that even should be discussed on Cannon Fodder. It's too soon. It should be discussed in episode 136, mm-hmm. and I am going to nurture my pain and grow my giant of hate until <laughs> that recording begins, but I, but I should say that I'm, I'm trying to think of this the way we always say you should. You shouldn't get too bogged down by character death. So 
We're going to have a good episode of Cannon Fodder. I think here. it's going to be a great episode. We're going to pretend we're friends. All right. <laughs> I, I, I still consider you a great friend. Yeah, yeah. I consider you a friend, buddy. Well, you uh, didn't kill anything I care for. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to discuss, I think we should discuss, homebrew sessions sure. in, the, in the middle of pre-written campaigns. Uh, truly, I mean truly, this is a small thing in the episode, but I think it could be expanded. Okay. Truly putting the PCs in the driver's seat and really just letting go yeah. as the GM, having nothing else going on. And then I want to get into a good question on listener mail. Um, so first, this, this curse, uh, which I guess has ended, has had a long history on the show. Um, it, it first comes up, I think, when Lork mentions the, the murder uh, of somebody during his youth in episode 38. Nearly... A hundred episodes ago. Really? That was the uh, Tog of War? Tog of War. I oh. believe that's the episode where, he, where I first mentioned Classic. it. Yeah, and that, that seed was planted, and then we did a lot of different things with it for, you know, obviously nearly a hundred episodes. Or when you first came up with the idea of the murderer's curse, was this something that you left completely open-ended, or did you have some kind of idea that this was going to be a story element that was going to cause you to homebrew a lot of stuff? Um, I would say the murderer's curse. Was it mentioned in 38? No, no, no. The murderer's curse didn't come until the 70s. Until the misconnections. Oh, well, yeah. I'm sorry. It was the 60s. 1961, yes. 1961. I was was like, the 60s. 1961. Um, What was the question again? The question was, is... At the time that you brought that up, did you expect that to be a story element that would, you know, cause you to kind of homebrew a lot of sessions and work around that or was that just something you thought like oh he would just live with this and we'll just move on it'll be a character flaw well i knew it would have to be dealt with i didn't know if i'd have to homebrew it or if i'd have to uh kind of like clay mold the adventure path around it yeah and i think uh, i don't know without without giving anything away i think i was able to do both just based on where you guys are in the story it worked out perfectly yeah that that is true but i mean this last session was a homebrew session sure I mean, Sure. Nothing. Those, the the, the Skonkwa as a tribe, the the shaman that you created, the idea of what? this story. Yeah, none of that stuff. All that stuff was great. Could have been in a pre-written adventure, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. There's no way that it was in this adventure. So, I guess my question is: when it comes to homebrewing within an AP, uh, if you're uh-huh. going to homebrew an encounter like this. What sort of challenges did you come up against in your planning and execution of it? Because you only had one episode. You knew you wanted to do this in one episode. Yeah, So you have about an hour. How do you allow Matthew and I to feel like we have choices or we can move through this thing like a, a real session when you kind of have an end in mind? It has to be within a certain time limit. What sort of challenges did you face in coming up with it? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, and it's funny because my only experience with it is episode 100, that three-parter, which is the first time I've experimented with this style where, you know, I, I don't know, I can't imagine I'm the first one that's come up with this idea in all of the millions of people that have GM'd games since right. the dawn of this game. But, but, but I mean, that was over six months ago. That was over six months yeah. ago, yeah. God, yes. You know, Episode you homebrewed 100. something there, didn't homebrew anything else since. So this is fresh territory. But this idea of creating an episode, and, and, and you keep hammering the homebrew. I want to come back to that because I, I, I consider it homebrew, sure, but I also consider this an, 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 an important and integral and unavoidable part of the adventure path sure. in my mind. Um, but the the idea of 
communicate the GM communicating with each player at the table individually with ideas on what I think would be fun for them to focus on without letting the other people at the table know what each person is focused on. So everyone kind of becomes a co-GM for a moment. Right. You know, if it's an hour session for 15 and you minutes. Are, and you are acting as a, a maestro there right. where each part has to play its own part completely individually and separate from the others without knowing what they're doing. Right. But you have to orchestrate have all to of this. I have to orchestrate it without letting them know how the character they're going to be interacting with is going to react. Because I, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to react. I right. barely talked to you. I just said, get ready for a wild ride. Yeah. Um, and, you know, t- touching upon things without also letting Skid know what, what uh, Grant was going to do. Without letting Matthew know what Grant was going to do. Like, no one knew what anyone was going to do. And, and the first time I'd ever done that was episode 100. So it was just... Like the past couple of weeks, it dawned on me that that's what I wanted to do again, that this was a perfect opportunity to, to test out this style, for lack of a better word, uh, again. And so coming back to your original question in terms of the challenges that something like this faces, the challenges are I want to give autonomy to the players, complete autonomy. As much autonomy as possible, I should say. So very little autonomy. <laughs> no, as much autonomy <laughs> as possible. So the challenge is in preparing every possible outcome. If all of a sudden in that last moment, Feyraza doesn't decide to do that, I have to be ready with a solution. Yeah. Just like I was prepared for the solution she did make. If all of a sudden, you know, Orphus doesn't fight you, I have to be prepared for... So you didn't know that was 100% happening? No, I never want to know. What happened if Lork won that fight? Would that have changed the outcome? 100%. That's one thing I could easily prepare. Well, let me ask you If I know that combat's going to happen, then I have one preparation for if Lork wins, one preparation for Orphus. Well, then let me ask you, in terms of your prep, your actual logistical prep, did you write those things down? Do you have notes of what would happen if he won or if he lost? Or is this all just rattling around in your mind? In my mind. Did you just have a short outline that you were looking at for this episode? Or did you write a couple pages of stuff? I am very much a, uh, I think I write too much sometimes. And sometimes I write it all out and I just throw it out. I don't even refer to it. In this case, I did not write anything. I just oh. I just knew it. And this same, same thing happened with Misconnections. Misconnections was one of those ones where I just was thinking about it so much. I remember walking to your apartment and even days before the episode, just talking these characters out in my mind. Like I knew the story that I wanted to tell. I didn't need a script. I didn't even need an outline. I just knew where it was going to go. Who's going to talk first? All right, Galabras. Great. Now I know what I want to say for Galabras. And likewise with this, I, I really, I, I was lucky in that you guys did a lot of the work at the table. All I had to do is kind of push, prod, yep. move it in this direction. I, already, I did all my work before the session even started. What do you think is the core of the difference between a situation like Misconnections or Ranger Things 2 versus <laughs> the uh, intros that you did up to the finale of book four, where those were all written, I mean, a couple pages sure. of stuff, and you were reading off of a script of, in great detail of what you wanted to say. How come those couldn't be kind of improved off, off the top of your head? What do you think is the core of what makes those two things different? I don't know. I feel like as I go along, I'll have to write less. And even the things I write, I don't always read what I have written on the page. I kind of change it in the moment. But you know, the core of your question is why wouldn't you equally script something as intensely as this is that you would as a in a flashback and i i, I don't know i think I, I might have an answer uh, is it because the the other ones have dialogue and the flashback doesn't 
So if you know you're going to have an interplay with a player, writing too much it might work against you, right? Because you never know where they're going to take the conversation. Right. I mean, even in a, a professionally written adventure path only gives you like, like if the PCs ask this question, here's what they say. You yeah, know they can only mean? do two or three. And you can cr- kind of try and fit in the answers to those questions if you want to like uh, snooze on your role playing. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, you, you can only prepare so many speeches for your PCs because you're not, if you prepare it too much, you're not allowing for interplay. You're not allowing right. for listening and responding. You right. know? Um, and that's something I've, I've had to work on because I like to really prepare as much as possible. But I think, I don't know, I, I feel like something happened to me as a GM at the end of book three and in, in the beginning of book four where like I feel so deep within this story right now, both the, the pre-written part and the part that I'm creating that I feel, at least right now, this may change next episode, super confident just dancing in what I what I have planned. Well, that leads me to my other question, which is about the the really letting go, really putting the PCs in the driver's seat. And yeah. maybe part of this is coming from your confidence, your confidence in your ability to know the story so deeply that you feel comfortable bobbing and weaving as you go. And this was just a small moment. And while we were leaving the studio, you said something kind of offhanded and it's been it's stuck with me since. And I just want to ask you about I don't know it. What you're going to say. It was very simple. It was a very small moment, uh, and I just wonder what this means in terms of really putting the, the PCs in the driver's seat. You said that at the moment we came up and first met the tribe and you demanded a gift, you came up with that on the instant that you basically said it. Yeah. Like you had not planned this in advance. It's not an encounter or challenge you had set forth where you thought, well, if the PCs do this, I'll do this. If the PCs do that, I'll do that. You said, and you said it to me almost kind of like wide-eyed, like, I just started saying that, and then I was like, uh, well, I hope they come up with something. That was 134. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even – I forgot. I put those two <laughs> things together. Yeah, it all seems like part of one thing. But yeah, it was the end of 134. I just – I mean, that's what happens in role play. Sometimes you're just given these fun ideas, and I threw it out there, and luckily... It sounded like you were a little nervous when you were rehashing it to me. Yeah. That you were like, oh, that could have been like, I don't know how to get myself out of this. And I guess the, the core of my question is, how often would you ask the PCs a question in character that you honestly have no plans for what happens next? Where you truly put... The players in charge, you know, like a trap that you as a GM don't know your way out of. Right, right. Well, they call my bluff. Right? Uh, yeah. How often do you do you do that? Uh, m- probably more often than I want to admit to. <laughs> but like the only reason being that I think what if I just take a leap of faith like that and ask some random request, in this case, give me a, an offering, I always I feel so undeniably confident that something cool will come out of it. And I mean, this is a perfect example. I asked for this and I have no idea what you guys are going to say. In fact, even as I was asking, and this is why I didn't feel super confident, I'm like, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to come up with anything cool or it's either going to be mundane and not have any meaning and you guys decide to go with Brynja's love. And this is why you have to, it's, I'm very fortunate to have the players that I have because it was at the end of that session. So I was telling you that, like, I don't know about this thing, that Matthew pulled me aside and said, if it comes to that point where Frey Raza is going to, you know, kill Lord, you know, then 
his original plan, our original plan was an ironwood dagger. He's like, no, we'll use Brynja's love. And I was like, oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, you can't. That's why it's always better off to just kind of throw it out there and hope you can. I don't think I was worming my way back into that. I think it's just like, all right, now I have, now I have information. What am I going to do with it? So and, you, in you this case, say, Matthew gave me an, an idea. So you would say that in general, this is a good idea. You would recommend that GMs do this, that they don't keep the illusion of choice just an illusion all the time, that sometimes they really do get the players a choice where they don't know what they're going to do after that choice is made and just kind of roll with it. I, I mean, I think a good GM, the illusion of choice should always appear to be an illusion. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it should always be where... You know, even if you're making up a name of an NPC, they should the the PC should never quite know if that's in the book or not. I mean, that's very important to me, and that goes back to what you were saying. It's like you know, we're, this is all homebrewed. I mean, to me, it isn't. I think if we were playing this adventure path off book, we could very easily, if we wanted to, just hand wave our way to Skier Guard. You know, you buy your items and stuff like that. But like. I don't know. I, I don't think that's how we would play it. Even if we were playing off session. Right, we would find something to come up with we gotta go for to, the journey. We've got to go to Yanhoff. I mean, in this case, we had the Bloodsworn Veil. Instead of a random encounter. Right. You know, roll. Isn't we, this so much better than a random <laughs> encounter? I mean, it, <laughs> it sure is. And yeah. the thing is, is look at um, episode 100 is a perfect example. I took a random encounter of the book. The Red Caps was a random encounter, and it became just a set piece to allow these new characters to form, and then Razzmatazz came out of it. I just think there's so much you can do as a GM to take what the book has given you, your ideas, what the player's given you, so that nothing's random, nothing is really homebrewed. It's all just part of telling this story. And we, we always come back on this over and over and over again. People that are shy about jumping into adventure paths, like, ah, it's too railroaded, it's too pre-written. That's just, all it is is a model. And this, this should be a, 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 another sobering reminder that adventure paths allow you to do whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah, it really is. You make it so unique to your game, your players, those characters they created. It's just a guideline. I mean, last week we had Dan Tharp on, and he said something that I didn't jump on at the time. But... They put out, they're so excited about this new Starfinder content that's coming out that's going to expand the world. And they do that so that you can homebrew. They do that yeah. so you have the world information you need to expand upon you know, the, the, the worlds that you're building within the world that they're creating. And I think that that is what's so fantastic about the stuff that Paizo puts out. When I can sit down and read in the Inner Sea World Guide, all about Bloodsworn Vale. It, it gives you so much information to work with that these things, they, they, you're right, they're not quite homebrew. It's not quite the right word because you're playing in a pre-existing world that's pre-written, and they have given you all the framework you need to have excellent and, and detailed adventures that feel very original and very unique to you. And to me, I mean, that is what that's why it's important both as a GM and, and, and as a player to read those player companions, to read those world expanding things, because you come up with ideas that just expand upon the adventure you're already going to have in the AP. And they make it something even richer. It doesn't make the world feel so much more real. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure there are groups that just finish book three and say, all right, so we make our way to Skiergard. Right. And a GM is like, great. So much less work. All right, all right, you're in scare guard. But, like, it, it seems so much more real to me. 
because uh, you could easily be like, all oh, right, you explain the journey in five minutes, and uh, so the hills and this and the sky, and then you go down to the forest, Bloodstone Vale, and you could do that in five minutes. But I like that we're taking four hours. It'd be like one normal session if we were sitting around a table making this world come alive. Because now, after Skiergard, if you guys want to go back to Yanderhof, if you want to go back to the Bloodsworn Veil. There's a history there. Yeah, there's characters yeah. there. There's memorable characters there. Yeah, that's... That. I don't know. I've, I've learned a lot from this experience because I, I thought that that was just so much work that w- it was beyond the scope of what I was able to do. And now I cannot imagine playing an adventure path without doing that very, very important work. Yeah. Well, I do want to get to listener mail because we have to make this one a short one, but I just have to really quick say, because we didn't get a chance to really analyze it but what an amazing job skid and grant did uh matthew i'm not speaking with anymore but skid (laughs) and grant uh both fantastic characterizations and yes honestly matthew too feyraza i mean i can't it's hard for me because i can't think of anything more uh, real or or uh more uh relevant to that character than than how she played that whole thing but uh for skid and grant i mean just the tree i loved the tree and then grant bringing orphos back was so fun uh just a little tidbit was that your idea grant's idea bringing orphos back that was a good idea i like seeing orphos i like that guy yeah i was just trying to work it like a i don't know a triptych isn't the right word but i was just thinking like a you know a story in three parts and i i thought like what can i have skid do because i really wanted to be a feyraza lork journey and I was like oh you know it'd be fun if he played like an old tree or something like an ant I was thinking Lord of the Rings and I mean I, my conversation with Skid might have been two sentences long and he just jimmy jammed that out and then <laughs> a couple days before we recorded the actual episode I brought it to Grant I was like I want Orphus to come back the spirit of Orphus or whatever and uh, you know I was just it was it's just so fun now now you guys have uh Spoiled me though, because I want to do this shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, good job on those guys. Uh, well done. Uh, a, a round of applause for you. But we've got to get to a little listener mail. Last of the year. I hate listening to mail because I want to go home and eat. I'm just kidding. All right. Mail. I'm just very hungry. Let's see late which, at night. Let's see which listener Troy hates this week. Oh, come on. He hates Trevor from Greeley, Colorado. Oh, Trevor, you son of a gun. <laughs> Trevor, thanks for writing in, seriously. Uh, you're going to love this, Troy. In my last session, I killed three of my four players. Attaboy, Trev. And the tank hobbled out of the encounter at <laughs> minus three hit points. <laughs> Tell the teacher the person to be a tank. That got me thinking. Yeah. At what point do you stop letting your players bring in backup characters for a tpk is there ever a point where the players just lose where they just (laughs) fail to save the world that is an excellent question and i don't think you realize how good of a question it is i i I do and i'll tell you you why you understand exactly what he's asking we got emails very early on asking us what happens if there's a tpk yes uh in red lake fort at uh, the hope spring uh do you guys just end the adventure? And and not only were they asking the question, they were giving their two cents. They were like, I think, game over. Start Strange Eons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And other people just be like, what would you, you know, like to me, I, I think we're starting an adventure path as a group. The PCs are obviously the most important part of it. Yeah. Your Lork, your Gormley, your Baron, your Galabras, those are the four characters. But now look, who's left? Yeah. Baron. 
and three other people. <laughs> you know, it's changed so much, but I mean, I think even if Baron dies next episode, this story doesn't end. There are other people, I mean, our good friends, the Order of the Amber Die, if the characters die, that's it. The adventure yeah. path ends. The, in, in the way they talk about it, and I could be misquoting them slightly, is that the adventure path wins. Yeah. Well, no, that's, the AP wins. that's exactly what Trevor says. He says, do they lose? Yeah. The players lost. That's it. You're done. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine playing So wait, playing is your answer way? to the question, never? Never. No, the story must Story goes on till continue. the end of six yes. books. If you're able to you know, finish it and everybody wants to finish yeah. it. You, I mean, you've got to make these characters come in a way that isn't ridiculous. You know what I mean? If Baron dies, I want Grant's character to make complete sense to come in in the next episode or the episode after that. Whenever he comes in, I don't want it to be like, oh, here comes uh, Baron's cousin. You know, I want it to really land. Uh, but I think once you commit to starting Adventure Path, you take it all the way to the end. That's my final answer. I completely disagree. You are a fool. <laughs> no, I, th- I have thought about this. Your opinion is wrong. I've actually thought about this a lot recently, very recently, especially coming up to the, to the climax of book three, where everything was looking so dangerous. And we really were looking at a possible TPK. And I'll tell you, my answer to the question, to just get right to it, no intro necessary, I think level 10. That's it. That's the cutoff. Level 10. If you make it to level 10, your characters should at that point survive through the remainder of the game. Now, if you have huh. one character die, that that's something. Like I, I don't the it's hard to say you don't allow that one person to bring in a backup character when the other three PCs are alive, want to continue the adventure. That's not so much what I'm saying. I'm saying if you have a TPK-ish situation at level 4, they're still in their growing pains stages, and I think that that's a very dangerous time. Your hit points aren't quite as high. The monsters are pretty dangerous. Maybe you do go down. Maybe you do get caught in a TPK situation. Maybe everybody does fall off a cliff, you know, and that kind of thing could happen. I think you're early enough in the AP to bring them back. Where we are right now with Giant Slayer, if we had a TPK, I think as a GM, I would end the adventure for two reasons. One, I think there's so much other content out there that you can start a new one and you can uh, have a great time. Sure. I think that's superficial. Well, along with that, though, I think that you give a weight to your game of playing an AP. You say something is actually on the line here. The world really is on the line and you really did fail and the world ended. <laughs> and now we're playing in a different universe when we start a new AP, yeah. right? Uh, the second reason is... I don't think it's wise to have players bringing in a level 10 class that they've never played before. Level 10 race or class that they've never played before. And the reason I think that is because when I was going over this at the end of book three, I was not sick to my stomach, but I was just very nervous at the idea of bringing in a level 10 character. I told you how much I'm excited about playing an occultist, how much I want to play an occultist. I really don't want to play a level 10 occultist the right. first time I you take one out. You want to learn your way up to level And you want to learn the character. The character grows. The feats you take, the skill points you spend, they're all part of learning the character. I think it takes away from the game when you let everybody restart their characters in those super high levels. I think even level 8, level 9 is pushing it. But I, I, would, I would accept it. I think it's totally reasonable to say, at that point, you lose. Double-digit levels, it's over. I have a couple questions. Is level 10 just an arbitrary choice? 
Yes and no. I mean, obviously, it's not that much different from level nine, but I think that level 10, I think people would universally say, represents the, the, a point at which you do start getting extremely, extremely powerful. Sure, sure. But, I um, mean, you don't get access to resurrection mas- magic until you're a 13th level cleric. That's a 7th level spell. Yeah. So, I mean, 10 sounds fun. It sounds right. But I, I, I also think that 10, to me, it just sort of sounds like a level that it is arbitrary, but it, it, it sounds like a level where bringing in a new class that is level 10 sounds, I mean, it's hard enough at level 5. Yeah. You know what I mean? Six, seven, hey, maybe, you know, you, maybe you push it a little bit. Level, t- level 10 to me sounds feels like where you're really sort of dropping off and getting into a territory where you're not going to understand your own feats. You're not going to understand your own character's abilities. And you're going to screw up all the time. And it's going to be frustrating. It's tough because, like, there are GMs that play the game me versus you. I'm going to present you with really, really difficult challenges. And you better figure it out. And if you don't, you die. I mean, I think that I'm, I am I play that up like that's the way it is, but I'm also dancing with you guys. I'm improving with you and I'm playing with you. If I went all that way, then I could see you wanting to go be this way, be, being like, well, you, you lost. But like part of the journey of going through an adventure path is the GM – you know, deciding, you know, who am I going to attack this round? Oh, that guy looks a little weak. Well, maybe I'll give this guy a little bit. It's it's, it's really, I, I use the word dance. I've used it for a couple of weeks now, I think. Like tactically avoiding you know, you're, a TPK? You're, no, you're just, you're just, you're playing the game because the game isn't always about me versus you, us versus them, winning versus losing. It's about telling a great story. And to me, that's why I would take the adventure path all the way to the end of the line, regardless of who died, because the story needs to be told. But if, that's not a negative argument. If arc, the true now four die, the world shouldn't end. But that's not a negative, th- that isn't, uh, that's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm not talking about losing to the GM. I'm talking about, I'm not, you're not losing to the story. You're talking about, in this great story, the heroes failed. And that was the end of that story. Right, but And I it also, was a great story. But I also think that could be a failure on the GM's part, too. What? A TPK? Yes. Huh. Sometimes. I think everyone is to blame for a TPK. Well, a lot of things can go wrong. Sure. There's a lot you know of stuff I mean? that can Dice go wrong. can really go in a crazy way. But wouldn't you be bummed if, like, at Urnthash's chamber, everyone died and we were just like, all right, that's the end of the show. Now, obviously, this is a, a, a very unique thing. We're telling a story. We want to take the story all the way. Personally, no, not at all. I'd be like, I'm really excited to start a new AP. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ruins of Oslan. Let's go. Level one. I'd probably ask them the wrong guy. Uh, uh, I, 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 you Ask a bunch of people. Write in. Let us know. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think that there is a lot of people out there that would say they they love starting new adventures. Oh, of course. Nobody loves starting an adventure more than us. And, and I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people are going to write it to us and be like, yeah, no, you lost. You so busy lifting drinks. You lose, Charlie. Yeah. End of adventure. I just can't imagine like as a not even as a completionist. It's just like what you start an adventure, especially as a GM who's prepped the next few. Yeah, books, you put all like, that work in. Come yeah. on, please. Yeah. I want to finish this story. Well, there's a lot of good arguments I think on both sides, and I really that's why it's a great question, Trevor. Thank you great so much question. for writing it in. Uh, and I, I don't know if, we're, if we'll ever come to that point. If we do, we'll see. We'll analyze at that time what what we're gonna do. I mean, it sounds like you have your idea in mind, but the players' uh, opinions on that factor very much in a game if they if they're not interested in continuing or if they are interested in yeah. continuing it really factors in but either way uh, lots to be said on either side thank you again Trevor so much for the question remember if you have questions write into us on our new email listener mail at glasscannonpodcast.com 
As always, we appreciate you guys listening, and we're excited to continue this story. And by we, I mean everyone but me. (laughs) Happy New Year, Lark. Boom!